Well, welcome everyone to the Texas Values Radio Show. Happy Saturday, happy whatever the day of the week it is that you happen to be uh, listening or watching. I'm Jonathan Covey. I'm filling in for Jonathan Science, who's out this week. And we have a great show lined up for you today with a number of recent events and victories that we're going to share. And uh, just as a reminder, you can catch us uh, every week on this station at 101.1 FM, The Bridge, or you can watch us on demand on Facebook to get your Texas values fixed any day of the week. Also, if you just got to know what's going on about everything that we've talked about, you can find tons of great information on our website at txvalues.org and our newest website, texasheartbeatlaw.com. Joining me today is my colleague and Texas Values' own senior policy advisor, Mary Elizabeth Castle. Mary Elizabeth, welcome to the Texas Values radio show. Hey, Covey. Great to be here. You know, last week we saw the Texas Heartbeat Law prevail again in court. And uh, it was a great victory. This time it was at the Texas Supreme Court. As you know, the Texas heartbeat law has already prevailed uh, at the Supreme Court three times after the most uh, recent victory at the Supreme Court. We saw Justice Gorsuch uh, as the majority uh, and the majority send uh, the case back to the Fifth Circuit. Um, this is the intermediate appellate level court, and they said they wanted uh, that court to address certain questions about the authority of state licensing officials. And the Fifth Circuit said, you know, we think the, the Texas Supreme Court should answer this question. And if you remember, the United States Supreme Court kind of left this question open in their decision on December 10th. They said, abortion providers you can't sue state court judges or state court clerks. You can't sue the, the Texas Attorney General. We are, however, going to let the case proceed at this point against state licensing officials. Uh, for instance, the head of the Texas Medical Board and the head of the Nursing Board, uh, because these individuals may need to take some kind of enforcement action against someone who violates the heartbeat law. And then last week, this, the Texas Supreme Court flat out said, no, there's no authority by state licensing officials because the heartbeat law emphatically and expressly says there isn't. And what this means is that the abortion provider's federal case is effectively over, right? They have, they have no one else to sue. And while you can bet your boots that abortion providers aren't giving up anytime soon, this is, this is great news. It really is. It's also, uh, Mary Elizabeth, having an impact around the country uh, as other states, they really start to kind of see that the Texas heartbeat law has real staying power and it's been taken to court time after time uh, with really great results for life. Yeah, you know, it's like my mom always used to say, imitation is the best form of flattery. And you're seeing a lot of states across the United States seeing the success of the Texas heartbeat law, not only the success at the U.S. Supreme Court and even the appellate courts, but now at the Texas Supreme Court, which essentially means that any challenges against the heartbeat law are over. And so all pro-life states are seeing the success of the Texas heartbeat law, which is so unique. And we've talked about that over and over. Um, and they're wanting to implement the same type of law as well. And so we've seen other states pick up or at least talk about 
uh, having similar legislation like the Texas heartbeat law with the civil enforcement. But we have a big victory for life because this week, Idaho actually passed a bill that's just like the Texas heartbeat law. So that's a big victory for life. Uh, we're pr proud of Idaho for uh, taking that leap of faith in copying Texas. But this is a good thing to copycat, and we're excited about it. But yeah. in the same vein, um, you know, even though that we're seeing other states wanting to copy the Texas heartbeat law, we're seeing opposition as well. And whether that's uh, different pro-abortion groups, we're also seeing people in the corporate world uh, coming out against the heartbeat law. And that's with uh, recently Citibank has said that they're actually going to give funding uh, to women to get abortions outside of the state of Texas. And you may remember the city of Austin was trying to fund women to get abortion, but here's a big corporation saying that they're going to use uh, their funds to help women get abortions outside of the state of Texas. So that's very disappointing to see uh, such a corporation that many people use for their banking uh, to come out against these very pro-life laws. Well, and we're, we're also seeing states, right, on the opposite side of the spectrum, actually trying, if you can believe this, to, to allow babies to be killed basically up to 28 days after birth. There was, a, there was a Maryland bill that was filed during the state's legislative session this year. And what they were attempting to do was to prevent investigations and take away legal penalties for abortion at any point during the pregnancy and during what they call the perinatal uh, period or, or perinatal deaths, which are a failure uh, caused by a failure to act. Um, and what this does is it extends, it, it's, the, it's the period from the 22nd week of gestation all the way through the first 28 days after birth. They're calling it the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act. Well, first of all, Mary Elizabeth, pregnant person, you know, and then second of all, um, this is essentially decriminalization of a crime called infant neglect, and it's, it's ridiculous and it's disgusting, not unlike some of the things that we're seeing um, even here in Texas with we have the uh, South by Southwest Festival going on at abortion providers there. Yeah, again, even though we're seeing a lot of great pro-life legislation, we're seeing a lot of backlash from the pro-abortion group. But a lot of times, it, I think it's getting harder for them to argue for abortion. And so they're getting creative in very bad ways. And like you said, we saw this at the South by Southwest conference. Um, the Planned Parenthood president was like one of the keynote opening speakers for South by Southwest. And she introduced that they had an ice cream truck, an old ice cream truck that they took and decorated it in Planned Parenthood decor. And they were handing out condoms and information against the heartbeat law uh, from this ice cream truck. And the theme was, you know, that Texas legislators' hearts are as cold as ice cream or as cold as ice. And that was plastered on this ice cream truck. Uh, the disturbing part about it is, and even people who were for abortion said this was disturbing, is the fact that who goes to ice cream trucks? Kids. Yeah. You know, so this just shows how Planned Parenthood uh, really has no um, pause or inhibition about marketing their abortion stance or 
their sex education stance to children or making it in a kid friendly manner. And so they had this abortion truck at South, this abortion ice cream truck out at South by Southwest here in Austin, Texas. And while it's not a surprise to have that here in Austin, it's still a disappointment and it's disturbing to use this, you know, what you think of kid friendly type vehicle to hand out condoms and information on how evil they think the Texas heartbeat law is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just kind of creepy, right? It seems like, you know, you got an ice cream truck and you want to get your ice cream and your condom at the same time. I mean, who who thinks of that except for abortion providers and Planned Parenthood? And I think that, um, I, you know, I think it's really, really interesting how they they approach that and, and don't really understand that this is an issue of life and this is an issue of preserving sanctity of life. And, you know, um, while life is, is incredibly important, and it is, it is a topic that at Texas Values we focus on a lot, and, and the developments lately on it have been, um, especially by abortion advocates, uh, feel like basically attempts to lash out and, and respond to the success of the heartbeat law. And so, you know, I, I think we could talk about this uh, topic the, in, the entire show, but let's let's uh, transition over kind of to a different issue that I feel like is, you know, constantly making national headlines and yeah. stirring controversy. And that's having a man have essentially take over and annihilate everyone in the NCAA women's swimming competition. Yeah, and good use of the word transition. I think <laughs> we're going to have to think of a different word to talk about. Let's move to the next topic because transition just kind of signals <laughs> a negative response or a negative thing that we think about. Well, you may have seen this on the news, but there was a big, big protest, a protest in our favor for once, um, led by one of our great friends, Beth Stelzer, who's leader and founder of Save Women Sports. Uh, in Georgia to protest the national uh, championship, division one championship for the swimming competition where Leah Thomas uh, was competing and had competed in Atlanta, Georgia this week. It was a very good protest. Uh, Of course, Beth Stelzer does a good job, but it was very interesting as well to not only hear from female athletes about how unfair this is, that Leah Thomas, uh, who only identified as a woman, I believe, in college, was competing at the University of Pennsylvania and the women's swimming division and beating these women by a large margin. If you even saw the videos, you could see where it almost looked like Thomas was swimming by himself and then all the women would follow and touch the concrete minutes or a lot of seconds after him. Um, This is someone who is still anatomically male and women complain not just about losing out on this opportunity they've worked so hard for to swim in college competitively, but also uh, the privacy concerns as well. Um, Thomas changes in the women's locker room. Uh, He showers in the women's locker room, and that's a privacy issue as well. So it was very good to have some dissenters, and the news caught glimpse of those dissenters as well. I watched this news this morning, and that press conference was on the news. So you actually had opposition uh, to Leah Thomas being covered, which is a good thing, since they don't really cover the opposite side a lot of the times. But unfortunately, last night, Leah Thomas to no surprise, actually won the Division I National Championships um, in the women's competition. 
Um, he, of course, you know, still claims to be a woman, still claims to say that any descent to him swimming is unfair. Um, when Beth and some other women in protest yelled out that he was a cheater, you know, the news called them hecklers, uh, even though he clearly has a biological advantage. But hopefully this will come to an end. Uh, one of our other partner groups, Concerned Women for America, the National Concerned Women for America group, has filed a complaint with the Department of Justice against Leah Thomas competing at the University of Pennsylvania. So we're very glad that some legal action is being taken. And we hope that the DOJ, even though it's led by a different administration at this point, we hope that they actually take this into consideration. The complaint itself has some really good points. You know, first of all, that it's unfair that Leah Thomas is taking away this opportunity for women to compete in sports. Uh, she's not only uh, depriving them of victory, she's depriving them of scholarships. And of course, the complaint also mentions the privacy concerns that I talked about earlier, the fact that Leah is still anatomically male, Leah still uh, dates females, but Leah is changing in the female locker rooms and showering in the female locker rooms. And Title IX actually protects privacy of women by having sex designated spaces for changing and using the restroom. So a lot of rights are being denied, and we're really glad that CWA is taking this to task with this administration, and we hope that they respond. Right, we, we, and we've talked about this, right? You know, the, the, there are so many physiological advantages uh, that a biological male would have. They have larger hearts, larger muscles, um, uh, you know, stronger bones. Um, and it's interesting, right, because in, in 2021, last year, we saw... Um, 37 states introduce bills to protect fair competition in women's sports. Of those, seven states, I think at least seven states, have passed laws to protect female athletes with, I think... Including West, us. That, yeah, with, with West Virginia being the most recent one, I believe. Um, so I think it's significant because uh, I think we're seeing people, you know, finally kind of waking up and realizing this issue for what it is. And men competing in women's sports with their physical advantages, their physiological advantages, especially with athletes like Leah Thomas out there, making it very clear and giving a very good example, giving people a national example even of how this can happen. So, um, you know, I, I think we're starting to turn on this issue. And here in Texas, we've, we've also worked on this issue. Yeah, you mentioned the other states and I was like, including Texas. So our long, hard fight of trying to get Save Women's Sports legislation passed was eventually won in the third special session. Now, our bill, HB 25, uh, that was authored by Representative Valerie Swanson, makes sure that uh, biological males cannot compete in female sports in K through 12 sports. So that gives a lot of protection in middle school and high school sports. But we still need a bill that covers the collegiate sports, because as we're seeing with Leah Thomas, uh, it's happening at the national level. And those college women need to be protected and have their rights and scholarships protected by making sure biological males don't compete. But I don't want to undermine what HB 25 does, because as we're seeing with this instance of transgender ideology, it does begin young. So if we're able to protect female sports in middle school and high school sports, then we're able to make sure that those biological males aren't getting the scholarship to compete 
in women's sports in college. If we're able to stop it in middle school and high school, then we're also able to stop them and maybe have them compete in the appropriate sports in high school so they're not making it to the next level in college. But at the same time, we still would like that legislation to protect female sports at the collegiate level. Yeah, and and, and it's becoming um, more necessary by the day as we see with some of these examples, especially this national example. Well, let's move on to a different issue, not transition. Um, <laughs> let's talk about briefly about kids and education. Uh, we've we hosted uh, a couple weeks ago. We hosted a viewing recently of a um, a new documentary produced by a Christian film company called Fearless Features, and the documentary was called Mind Polluters. And this is a this is a really intense production, but it very vividly and accurately portrays the danger and the corruption that kids are exposed to in the public school classrooms across America. And, and it's not it's not for the faint of heart and it's not recommended for children, but it is highly recommended for any parents who have kids in public school. It talks about abortion. It talks about pornography in public school, LGBT issues, so much more that kids are being taught and having forced on them really in the public school classroom and things that parents oftentimes probably don't even realize. Uh, there, I think there are gonna be some other showings across the state, not hosted by Texas Values, but you can check that information on our website. And I think we also, we put out in our weekly update. So if you get our, uh, if you get our weekly update, you can also go and check the schedule on other showings on the mine polluters, but just a really important uh, discussion starter on the dangers that kids are being exposed to in public school classrooms. And Mary Elizabeth, this is this is a hot topic. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, one thing that's interesting about the movie Mind Polluters, it doesn't just talk about sex education being that gateway to pornographic topics or abuse of children. It talks about how library books and sometimes reading lists are actually the gateway um, to these inappropriate topics for children as well. And we've seen that recently with a lot of talk about library books being banned, but more so library books being investigated for being inappropriate. So we, we know that when it comes to textbooks, there's a very specific process at the State Board of Education that we go through to make sure we can vet it, the public can see it, and the public can testify on these textbooks, and then they're voted on. You may remember that process from November of last year. But when it comes to library books, it's a little more tricky, and you have these national library associations that tend to be a lot more left-leaning. Uh, getting to Free will uh, choose these library books that kids can check out even without their parents' knowledge or reviewing these library books. And then teachers have their own reading lists for classes that aren't even in the library that they can bring in books from the outside. Well, a lot of local school districts like Leander ISD, a lot of parents noticed that really inappropriate books were being assigned through reading lists or being given out through the library. Uh, some of the details are pornographic. Um, they are very explicit in the details uh, that they give. They give pro-LGBT and anti-family, anti-Christian messages in these books. And so parents have been protesting on that and speaking out against those library books being in kids' libraries for a while now. 
But we did see Representative Matt Krauss release a list of 850 books that were found to be pornographic in detail. And that list is still under investigation. A lot of schools are looking through that list and starting to remove those library books. But at the same time, a lot of schools are sitting on it. And then you have people, of course, who are protesting against that, saying that kids should be able to read LGBTQ plus books or should be able to read gender identity books, or it's okay, you know, if an eighth grader reads pornography. So you have a lot of pushback. And so there's a lot of activism on this. In fact, I believe it was last week, there were some teenagers who took some books from the 850 book list and were handing them out in front of the governor's mansion in order to kind of push back. Uh, but we're hoping that we're able to stop this at some level to have either some type of legislation or some type of power at the State Board of Education to make sure we can fight back against these inappropriate books in the library. Yeah, and this is not a, you know, this is not a new thing for, especially for Austin ISD either, because they, they're constantly um, pushing uh, not only LGBT issues, but sex ed issues in public school. And so, you know, we, and we've, we've fought them before on things related to um, uh, taxpayer funding for, um, for abortions, for um, LGBT issues and sex ed issues. So, you know, I think, um, I think this is a, a, an extremely important debate that's going on, not only in Texas, but across the country. Um, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing that parents are responding and they're saying, okay, this is enough, enough is enough. We're, we're, we're going to um, try to step up and make sure to see what our kids are being taught and, and make sure that they're being protected. Um, and we're at Texas Values, we're committed to, to continuing that as well and keeping you up to date on what's going on on, uh, on these issues as well. Um, I wanna move on to one other topic while we, uh, while we still have a couple of minutes, I think we're getting close, closer to the end of our time, but uh, just a uh, little over a week ago, Texas Values along with Family Policy Alliance and other state and family policy organizations, we filed a legal amicus brief with the US Supreme Court. And what this was, was this was uh, in support of coach Joe Kennedy, who is uh, a football coach out of Washington State. And he exercised his religious freedom by praying at the 50 yard line during a game. And uh, he, he began by saying a brief prayer um, uh, following games, I think this was years ago, and started alone, but then some students asked if they could join him, and, and uh, they asked him what, what he was doing, and he said, come on and join. This is a free country, and um, finally, it got to a point where it was so popular that the school demanded that he stop, and he said, no, you can do what you want. This is a free country, and they demanded he stop, but he refused, and as a result, he lost his job as a coach. Um, and this issue has finally made it to the Supreme Court. We heard a, a few days ago that um, the Supreme Court had scheduled oral arguments in this case for April 25th. And so we were able to, to join some other organizations supporting religious freedom and support Coach Joe Kennedy in his case before the uh, Supreme Court. And the, cl the clear message sent here by the school districts uh, is that really that one of hostility towards uh, religion? Uh, the Establishment Clause and the First Amendment 
Um, they both say that this type of expression is protected, that religious freedom is protected uh, against governmental entities. And so this is uh, just another way that, and, and as you remember during uh, the past session, Mary Elizabeth, we were able to get some bills passed supporting religious freedom as, as well. Um, Senator Angela Paxton uh, passed a bill protecting churches from being shut down during a pandemic. Also during 2021, we were able to get a bill passed amending the Texas constitution to say that religious uh, organizations and churches are protected from ever being shut down in the state of Texas. So we continue to fight on this battle. Of course, it's never over and religious freedom being our number one right, the fight for that is never over. But uh, we continue to fight on this battle to make sure that everyone has the right to worship. Um, and so we're, we're coming to the end of our show. And I'm, I'm being told that we're getting a, a little bit closer. But, uh, you know, anything else you want to add, Mary Elizabeth, related to any one of these issues? Or, um, you know, we were talking about uh, sex ed in public schools um, and Austin ISD, if you have any thoughts on that. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but anything, anything else you want to add in regard to that? I just think it's really interesting about the Coach Kennedy case. You know, I heard recently at a Focus on the Family event that, you know, religion never left the schools. It was just God that left the schools. Right. And so, you know, there's a new religion in schools now, and it tends to be whether gender ideology or Marxism. So we have to make sure that we put God back in schools. And I appreciate Coach Kennedy doing that by praying, you know, at the 50-yard line during his games and being bold about his faith. But it's very important to realize that we do have a new religion in schools. And Austin ISD is having that religion on display next week with their Pride Week. So they're struggling to teach these topics in sex ed because of the new opt-in law. So instead they're now having a pride week where they're going to give kids as young as kindergarten information on gender transitioning, gender ideology, LGBTQ issues, family structures of LGBTQ families. So if you're in the Austin ISD area, be sure to watch out for that because they'll be getting uh, gay pride swag to take home from pride week next week. And so that's next week after kids are back from spring break in Austin ISD that they'll be doing the Pride Week, but I do have some confidential information that some parents are pushing back legally. So hopefully we can there stop that. There you go. Well, we are coming to the end of our show, but we want to thank our faithful listeners and our supporters and say that if you find value in the work that we're doing, you can make a donation by calling our office. It's 512-478-2220, and we have people standing by. Also, if you want more information on any of the work that we're doing at Texas Values, you can visit our website at txvalues.org or our new microsite at texasheartbeatlaw.com. And remember, government belongs to those who show up. And here at Texas Values, we're dedicated to being your voice in government, your boots on the ground, for conservative and social issues and faith, family, and freedom. So we want to thank you for joining us, and we will see you again right here, same time, same place, on the Texas Values Report next week. Thanks, guys.